Our October sermon series, we've been looking at trees and what trees have to teach us about being disciples. And we started with this image from Psalm 1, that a tree that is planted by the stream of the presence of God, digging its deep roots down deep into the grace of God. The psalmist uses the, the image of meditating on God's law. So those little things that Miss Millie said, the reading and the studying and the praying, all of that, digging our roots into that, what causes the tree to grow. And so the image that Psalm 1 gives us is a, is a disciple, a person of faith, is like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in its season. And so the image that we've been working with throughout this series is that you and I and us together are meant to be like trees that bear fruit. In fact, last week we talked about the idea of the, the bearing fruit being the natural part of what comes in a disciple's life and the temptation to do things other than bear fruit like we are supposed to. And not just bear fruit to take care of ourselves, but actually bear over and abundantly more than we need for ourselves. The same way an oak tree produces thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of acorns in the course of its life, but really is probably only going to plant one of those to become another baby tree. All those other acorns go to feed the forest. And so we talked about this image of, of, of trees and of producing fruit. And the, this morning, we're going to take another turn in our logic of developing this image for us because we're going to come to this parable that if you grew up in church, I guarantee you saw this on a felt board at some point in your life. Anybody? Do you remember this one on a felt board? This is the mustard seed parable, and this is a classic one to teach the children because it's so visual and it's so easy. So I'm going to walk you through the, the children's sermon that I heard as a child, and if you didn't hear it, you probably heard an adult sermon that's kind of like this because this is a favorite parable to preach on and to teach on. So the children's sermon I heard was a little bit like this. The mustard seed is so, so small. Look how small it is. And it is small. If you've seen a mustard seed, Miss Millie had them taped up here. It almost, you wouldn't almost be able to see it in the palm of your hand. It is so small, it just would disappear in the creases of your palm. And you plant that and it grows into a tree. Now, when my teacher was teaching this to me, I don't think she had taken herbology or high school biology because she actually showed us a picture of an oak tree that came from a mustard seed. And even at that age, I thought there was something wrong with that picture. Um, and so she showed us this picture of this big, giant oak tree um, saying, look at what comes from just a little, tiny seed. And then once there is a big, giant oak tree, all of the birds have a home. And so because this tree has grown and reached its full potential, the birds can come nest and raise their babies. And there were little felt things of baby birds and eggs. And, and everyone is safe and secure and has a home because this tree has grown. Now, um, that message is not bad. In, in fact, I think that message is firmly grounded uh, in biblical pr principles and biblical um, ideas. The problem is, as a grown-up studying this passage, I'm not actually sure that's what this parable is about. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not what this parable is about, for a couple of reasons. 
The first thing we have to take into consideration is this, that it wasn't an oak tree that grew from a mustard seed. So a mustard seed grows a mustard plant. And if you're in Israel in the spring, you will see these plants. They're yellow, they're gorgeous. They bloom all over the countryside. There are wild mustard, and then there's domesticated mustard, but it's a garden plant. And so the difference between a wild seed and a garden seed is that somebody plants a garden seed with the expectation of actually reaping a harvest. So the same way you would plant a tomato seed and it would grow a plant and there are flowers, but more importantly, there are tomatoes that you expect to be able to eat. People plant mustard seeds and it grows a really big shrub, which is why Jesus is a little bit tongue-in-cheek where he says it's a tree. Um, It grows a really big shrub that can actually get 10 feet tall, even as as tall as 20 feet tall. So it's a really big shrub. If you're thinking about this in your garden, it's going to dwarf all the other shrubs. But it is planted intentionally by a gardener or a farmer who planted that mustard because they want to harvest the seeds and they want to eat the greens. The same way you plant tomatoes because you want tomatoes, you plant mustard because you want mustard. And so with that image in mind, a garden plant that has been planted, that has grown and that towers, now what happens when the birds come in? What happens when the birds come in? Well, the birds from the eyes of the farmer are really rather annoying because that farmer planted that plant for himself and the birds are coming in and they're taking the seed that the farmer had intended for himself and for his family. Birds in this particular parable, I think, come across rather as pests. And the reason I think that, um, and this is not just me. In fact, the first time I heard this was um, a, a Bible course by Dr. Bill Creasy, and I've heard it a couple other times since then. But, but hearing it, it completely changed my, the way I read Matthew. And if you go back and reread, every time birds are mentioned in parables, it's negative. Every single time birds are mentioned in parables, it's negative. Uh, Just earlier from this, we have the parable of the sower and the seed. A sower goes out to sow his seed. Some of it falls on hard ground and um, shrivels up and dies. Some of it falls on rocks and the birds come and eat it away. And some of it falls on good ground and it grows. And when Jesus is explaining what that parable means, he says the birds are the evil one who come and steal the word away before it has a chance to grow. And every time you see birds, it's, it's, it's bad. It's a negative image. And you know what? That makes sense if you think about the fact that Jesus is talking to farmers. Jesus is talking to an agricultural society in which people would have planted food for a reason, not just for fun. So if, I, if I'm looking at this parable with two different hats, I mean, if I put on my biology hat and I look at this parable... And I think it's a beautiful thing for, tree, for birds to have home in trees. And I can make a whole lot of images about trees in the forest that provide um, shelter to birds and food to squirrels and all these kinds of things. And that, I think that is, a, that is a, a, an accurate reading in one sense. But if I take my biology hat off and I put on my first century culture hat and I hear these words through the ears of farmers who are originally listening to Jesus, all of a sudden it's a different message. The farmer who planted that mustard seed wanted it to grow and produce fruit, but as soon as it grew, the birds came in, and the birds started taking the fruit that the farmer had intended for himself. Now, that changes the tone of the story, doesn't it? And it changes the tone 
especially when we are considering what this might mean if we are in fact seeing this parable as a metaphor for ourselves, seeing this parable as a metaphor for what Christians call stewardship. So the Christian idea of stewardship is that God has planted in all of us everything we have. God has watered. God has done all of these things because he is expecting fruit from us. God has entrusted us with everything that we call ours. In fact, I did a sermon series once where I went through the things that God has entrusted to us. Our bodies, our time, our attention, our talents, our interests, our, our, our money, our resources, everything. God has entrusted everything to us because God is a farmer who's expecting a crop. God wants to use what he has entrusted to us. God wants to use our bodies and our time and our attention and all of the various things that he has entrusted to us. I think what this parable is saying is that as soon as faith starts to grow, and as soon as a person starts to grow spiritually, and maybe even as soon as a community starts to grow spiritually, because we live in a world that is still at war with its creator, there is going to be a sense of attack from an enemy who does not want that fruit to go to its rightful place. As soon as a mustard plant grows, the birds come in to try to keep the fruit away from the farmer who planted it. Now, there's a whole lot of different ways we can unfold this metaphor. But the sense that is imminent, not only in this parable, but in the parables surrounding it, is the sense of warning. The sense of God is growing you and God is going to do something great, but be on the lookout because there is one who wants to come and steal the good work that God has begun. Be on the lookout, and this is true of the, the, of like the, the three parables that are back to back. Be on the lookout for the birds. Be on the lookout for the thorns. Be on the lookout for the shallow ground. Be on the lookout because as soon as you start to grow, an attack is going to come. Now, we're going to have a whole different conversation about what the nature of this spiritual enemy is, but what I want to focus on right now, this morning, is this idea that is presented to us in the parables that there is indeed an enemy, and there is indeed a way in which that enemy tries to disrupt and steal the fruit that is rightfully God's. Now, there are all kinds of ways we can, we can unpack this. In fact, talking about it with stewardship... We can unpack what it means for the fruit to be stolen, for the fruit to be wasted, if we're talking about our time, our attention, our talent. This morning and next week, I'm, gonna, I'm specifically going to talk about money. And I'm going to do that for a couple of reasons. The first reason I'm going to do it is because um, money is important in a way that few other things are. You know, if you don't think money is important, just give me all of it, and then we can talk later. Of course money is important. Everyone thinks money is important. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And it's true. Where you put your money, that's what you care about. And if you say you care about something and you spend nothing on it, you're probably kidding yourself. Your heart and your money are tied very closely together. In fact, Jesus talked more about money than about anything else. And so... And so we can talk, Westminster is very holistic when it comes to stewardship. Every time we have an offering, we say, offer your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. But for this week, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about money. For next week, I'm going to talk about money. First of all, because it is very important. But second of all, because, because it is important, but also kind of sensitive, we tend to avoid it. 
We tend to avoid it. Um, we not only tend to avoid talking about it, we tend to avoid thinking about it. And because we are masters of deception for ourselves, we tend to think that we can give God all of ourselves except our money and still make this thing work, which is just ridiculous, right? So if I say I love my children, but I spend no money on my children, I'm just lying. And eventually CPS is going to come and take them from me, right? If I say I love the priorities of the kingdom of God and none of my resources are directed toward the priorities of the kingdom of God, I'm kidding myself. I'm kidding myself. This morning, I want to talk specifically, I want to unpack this metaphor and related to how Christians are called to use their money because it is an incredibly important part of the puzzle when we piece together what it means to grow as disciples of Christ and bear fruit for the world. So the first thing we need to get our minds right is in this metaphor, if God has planted the seed, if God has grown the plant, if we are producing fruit, then that fruit is meant to do God's work and God's purposes. God is the farmer who come, wants to come and get his harvest. And as soon as I say that, there are some internal dialogue going on out there. This might be in your head. It might be, not be. But as soon as I say that, there's this voice that comes up and says, wait, but I worked really hard for my money. My money is mine, and it's up to me to choose whether to give God some of it. And the problem with that is that is just not true. It is just not true. Hard work is indeed a huge part of things, and so is luck. <laughs> and so is what we might call the providence of God. It is true that if you work hard, you will have more than if you are lazy. It is also true that no matter how hard you work, there are people on this earth who will work twice as hard and never make more than a few dollars a day. And whatever you want to make of that, whether you want to call it luck, whether you want to call it the providence of God, what you have is not entirely from the sweat of your brows because that's just the nature of the world in which we live. And a Christian would say, God planted a seed, God cultivated a seed, God watered a seed, you did your work to keep growing, and now God wants to use the harvest. He has a plan for what he has entrusted you with. It's the first half of that metaphor, but then the second half of the metaphor, think about the birds. So what is a bird? The enemy comes in and tries to steal the harvest that is rightfully God's. The enemy comes in and tries to waste the harvest that is trying to go to feed the, fa the farmer's family. Friends, you don't often hear a sermon on frivolous spending, but this is it. When your enemy attacks, and specifically when he attacks your wallet, he doesn't move fast. He moves subtly. He moves slowly. He convinces you that these few seeds over here don't matter, and these few seeds over here don't matter, and these few seeds over here don't matter, and you're, sp you're spending so long thinking about these few seeds that by the time the farmer comes along, there are only a handful of seeds left, and how many of you can actually tell where all those other seeds went to? The temptation of the enemy in this particular area is to convince us that because what we own is actually ours, wasting it has no eternal consequence. Wasting it has no eternal consequence. And because we live in the culture in which we live, and we live in the world with which we live, and we live in the comfort which we, with which we live, we waste it with astonishing ease. Astonishing ease. There was a time in my life, I told you this, um, 
I went to Nicaragua for three months on this short-term mission trip. It was incredibly life-changing for me, which is why you hear me talking about it. Last week, I talked about the life-changing effects of having no electricity for three months and shutting off the noise for three months and what that did within my spirit. You know what else happens when you're living in the jungle for three months? You don't spend money. <laughs> you don't spend money. I had two pairs of pants, a skirt, and, a, and, a, and some shoes, and shirts, and that was it, and I was fine. And because there wasn't any store nearby, the kind of consumeristic mentality that had been bred in me since childhood got shut off because there was no outlet for it. And all of a sudden, I've spent my time thinking about other things. Instead of spending my time thinking about what I was going to acquire, I spent my time thinking about the people who were in front of me. And so not only did that kind of change the consumerism monster that had been born in me, bred in me since childhood, it changed my attention toward the people who were around me rather than my, the unfulfilled desires that were within me. And in changing that attention, all of a sudden, it clicked what money had a capacity to do. Because let's be, I was living in a, an undeveloped part of the undeveloped region of the country. The, the, they were, most people did not have electricity. Very few people had running water, thatched roofs, the whole nine yards. Um, it was... It was a, a, it was a life I'd seen in magazines, but I'd never actually experienced it firsthand. But it is the, the style of life that is actually normal for most of the world. Let's be clear about this. Like, numerically, more people live that way than live our way. And so in spending time in that time with those people, all of a sudden, I got to see, like, wow. One dollar could feed a whole family for an entire day. Isn't that amazing? Five dollars would provide school books for this, whole, for this whole classroom of kids. I mean, money went a really long way. Granted, this was 20 years ago. I have no idea if it's going that far this now. But it got me thinking about money, not as something as a tool to satisfy my own desires, but as a tool to accomplish the work that God wanted to accomplish in the world. All of a sudden, I saw dollars able to feed kids, dollars able to clothe families, Dollars able to do things that everyone said they wanted to do, but we didn't seem to be able to do it. But because I was lucky enough to be born in a first world country, I knew that even as a college student, my earning potential was going to be higher than anyone in that village. And I came back and I was ready. Boy, I was ready. I cut down my expenses. I started saving my money. I started, do I had, I, I had a, the link with the organization I've been working with, so I started donating money directly to that organization. And let me tell you what happened. A month passed, and the day came when I was standing in a store, and I was looking at a pair of earrings. Guys, you're going to have to make up an analogy for this that is more gender appropriate to you. For me, I was looking at a pair of earrings, and they cost $15. And at that point, what was going, man, I really, really wanted the earrings, but what was going in my head was what $15 would buy in Nicaragua. And it was a lot. $15 would buy a lot. And I wrestled and I wrestled. And I want to tell you, on that day, I walked out of the store and said, that's not who God wants me to be. I am no longer that person. Because I've spent a really long time getting used to the first world. I've spent a really long time developing a different standard of living. And I no longer blink at $15, in fact, $15 now strikes me as extraordinarily cheap for just about anything. 
Amazon packages show up at my doorstep, but I don't even remember ordering them. And I believe that what Jesus would say is that without being fully aware of it happening, the birds started to come in. The attack started to come in. You see how it's a slow descent? If something drastic happens, right? So if you go bankrupt and your family leaves you, it's, a, it's an abrupt halt at the bottom and you know you need Jesus. But if there's a slow descent and you just start thinking less about others and thinking more about yourself, then you don't even notice how narcissistic you've become. Right? You don't even notice how self-centered you've become. You don't even notice that you don't think about the needs of others anymore. You don't even notice that all of your mental energy and all of your time is spent on thinking how you can fulfill your desires and your wishes rather than thinking how you can be a tool for the blessing of the world. And that slow descent is what Jesus would say is making a home for the birds. And here's the danger, friends. One day the farmer is going to ask what happened to his crop. Right? This is what we believe. One day there will be an accounting. One day the farmer is going to say, I gave you this, what did you do with it? And I'm going to appoint to a whole stack of Amazon boxes. Which is why, friends, the time to realize what's happening is now and not at the end of our lives. I, I'm not preaching this sermon to you as one who is perfect in this area because God knows I'm not. I'm preaching this sermon to you as one who says the birds are real and they matter. And if we tell ourselves they don't matter, we will be people who at the end of our lives do not produce fruit. We will be people who at the end of our lives will have spent all of our lives thinking about ourselves and we will have nothing to show when the day comes for us to give an accounting of what has been entrusted to us. When the farmer comes and he says, I planted, what did you do with it? What do we have to show? What do we have to show? Because the truth of the matter is that tool that God has given us, that fruit has got, God has given us, is extraordinarily powerful, so powerful, can do so much good. We just have to do it. And to ignore the birds telling us that it is inconsequential to keep wasting it. So... Something happened to me a few weeks ago that really drilled this into my head. I don't often, really, I, I, I take sermons week by week because um, I have small children and so my entire life is in the moment right now. But something happened a few weeks ago that really made me start thinking about this series early. And it came because I was, uh, <laughs> I was thinking about something I wanted to buy. You know, there, I go through seasons of being like really tight with our budget versus just like figuring out what the damage is two months later. And at this particular time, I was, think, I was really thinking about wanting to buy this thing that was $140. And that's, that's enough for me to like pause and think about it for a while. And so I just spent two days, and two days, all of my spare mental energy had been thinking about the pros and cons of this thing, which I will tell you is not a need, right? So in the, in the, in the level of like, First world luxuries versus actual needs. This is, this is not an actual need. So I was mulling over this for, about, for a couple of days. And then at one point, I was looking down, I was sitting at my desk, and I was opening, flipping through my to-do list. And I realized 
I'd forgotten to order groceries for this person that I was supposed to order groceries for. So for those of you who don't know, Westminster works a whole lot with organizations. We, we point people toward food banks, the CCSC, because the need right now is ex extraordinary in the Houston area. And um, we, we work a lot with pointing people toward organizations that are designed to provide assistance. But if people fall through the gaps, we don't want to be the church that just says no. So when we can and where we can, we help as we can. So this particular guy couldn't get to a food bank. Um, there were a whole lot of things that we we're going to work out in the future. But I said, okay, we'll, we'll just order groceries to be delivered to your house now. And then we'll work on what's, what a long-term plan is going to be. I'd forgotten to order the groceries. Um, he'd, been, <laughs> he'd been without food for 36 hours. And so I sat down to order the groceries, and I was going through the, I got his address right, I got the list of things that he said that he, um, he could tolerate on his diet right, and I got it all worked out, I got it in the cart, pressed checkout, guess what the total amount was? $140. That was $140. And I don't know if it was Jesus or my conscience, or maybe a combination of both saying, Meredith, your money is not just to have fun with. Right? There's not, we're not Puritans. There's nothing wrong with fun. There's nothing wrong with a vacation. There's nothing wrong with looking nice. That's not why you have money. That's not. That's not the main reason that God gave you money. That is not the fruit that is going to be expected of us when we come to the end of our days and give an accounting to the farmer. The bulk of what we have the money for is to participate with God in the feeding of the world. That's it. The bulk of what we have the money for is to bless the world, to take care of the people who depend on us, and to bless the world, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked. I mean, good grief, money can do so much in the hands of the righteous. And if we lose a few seeds to the birds, everyone loses a few seeds to the birds, but may we not be the people who lose the entire harvest without even noticing. Because while it seems that that doesn't matter today, friends, the day, the day will come when we realize it does. And when we realize it did. And what we can do now wake up, monitor our crop, watch out for the birds, and begin to tune our attention toward the eyes and the heart and the hands of the farmer who gave us the fruit to begin with. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, you have entrusted us with so much. You have given us so many good things. God, we are surrounded in our lives by first world problems that feel like so much more. And we're also surrounded with real problems. But because we are people we have grown deaf to the number of blessings that you've actually given us. And so God, right now, we pray for knowledge and for insight and for wisdom. We pray for awareness. We pray that you would open our eyes to what we have. We pray that you would break our hearts 
when we waste it. And we pray that you would make us joyful and obedient partners in your work of blessing the world. Come, Holy Spirit. Forgive us where we have erred. Drive the birds away and harvest the fruit that you planted. This we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As we say together the prayer our Lord taught, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.